as any given Carmelite or Indianapolis person is, well, not exactly zooming down 106 because people don't zoom down 106 here. The posted sp speed limit is 40 miles an hour and everyone is driving 35. And if you're an assistant priest who has places to be, this is no end of frustration. So as you're not exactly zooming down 104, and you're driving, it's not inconceivable that you might come across one of those last bastions of civic ceremonial, of places where our faith, the Christian faith, intrudes into the city life. That is the funeral procession of cars, shining, blinking lights from the, uh, the cars that are proceeding. They may actually be police officers, they may not, but they lead the way and they ensure that the way is open for those who are coming. And then what comes, the black cars, the hearse, the limousine with the family, and you'll notice some people who still have a sense of decorum and decency will pull to the side of the road and they will wait. Some who have an especial sense of decorum and decency will have the good sense to get out of their car and they will stand. If there's a man, he will doff his cap, but they will stand and they will wait as the one who has passed on passes them by as the family of the deceased passes by, they show this respect because a funeral procession is taking place. They'll come to the cemetery, of course, and the pallbearers will process the casket from the hearse to the burial plot. Usually not a very long walk anymore. Crown Hill, Oak Lawn, they've done a good job of putting this, the roads in. But this whole process, this whole dignified process, is actually a holdover of a very ancient practice, which is still very much in use in certain parts of the world, like the Near East, Palestine and Lebanon, where the Orthodox Christians still, following thousand years of custom, will take the casket, bear it aloft on their shoulders, and walk it through the streets of the town all the way to the burial place. And people will stand respectfully or join in the procession because everyone knows everyone over there. A death for one is a death for all. And so this burial procession is a solemn moment and even in our context where civic ceremonial has all but died, this is one vestige. There's a sense that it's time to stop. It is time to honor the one who is passing us by. And so how bizarre would it be if we came to Oaklawn or to Crown Hill as we were standing and everyone stands respectfully back as the pallbearers take the casket to the burial plot. How bizarre would it be if someone came out of the crowd, went to the mother of the deceased and said, don't cry. Stop crying. I think we'd feel pretty awkward. I think we might ask somebody larger and braver to pull this person aside and let things progress. It's odd. Not only is it disruptive of what is a very dignified event, but it's also kind of a bizarre sentiment.
Your son is dead, but don't cry. It's a very strange thing. And yet we might find ourselves relating to the person who intervenes in a slightly less extreme context. How often have we found ourselves confronted by the grief of another? And we are tempted to intervene between that person and his or her grief, saying, don't be sad, don't cry, don't feel the way you're feeling, don't experience the bitterness and the grief and the separation and the loss because it makes me feel uncomfortable. I want you to be fixed because this is hard for me. None of us think this. We don't realize that oftentimes what we are doing is we are importing our own sense of grief and loss and awkwardness and gosh, I wish we were having a good time onto the other person and in a sense of well, I'm trying to do what's nice for this other person. Of course, I don't want her or him to be sad. I don't want them to mourn. I want them to be happy. And yet, it is in the morning that the joy comes. It is through the morning resurrection is revealed. And so it is when Christ approaches the funeral cortege today, he doesn't do so as somebody who's uncomfortable with this woman's crying, with somebody who wants to do away with her grief because he just wants her to get over it, move on. No. Our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ comes to her and says, do not cry, not because he doesn't want her to experience hard emotions, but because he's about to show her that death is breaking Christ who is resurrection and life, comes to the side of her son and raises him up from his death and reunites him and her. Do not cry takes on a very, very different meaning here. Doesn't mean don't be sad because death is a difficult reality we all have to face. It means I have come to do away with sorrow. I have come into the reality of life and suffering and death. I have come to wipe away all tears from eyes so that those who have died may be reunited with those who mourn for them. I have broken the power of death by my cross, by my entombment. I have lifted Adam and Eve out of their graves and I've broken all of the devices of bondage that have held humanity in death. Through the cross, through grief, through pain, Jesus Christ does not raise from the dead except that he enters it through a cross. He does not bring joy except that he goes through pain and grief. It is the way of this fallen world that we traverse through grief in order to know joy. Joy doesn't deny the grief, but it transforms it, and it makes it life-giving. And so we come back to our experience, the difficulty we have when we encounter somebody with grief. We realize that we, who call ourselves Christians, these representatives of Christ, in fact, these incarnations of Christ, 
to those around us who bear Christ in our very selves and are meant to be the love of Christ to those around us, well, most of us are not raising the dead. Most of us are not stopping funeral cortèges and pulling formerly dead people off of them and reuniting them alive with their loved ones. And so what is our ministry? What is our ministry as Christ's ongoing ministry to the world? Our ministry is to be a presence of hope in the midst of grief, not denying the grief, not saying, well, don't cry because I don't want you to be sad. Don't cry because it's hard for me. Don't cry because you're a problem I'd like to fix rather than a person I'm called to love. No. Our presence is to be in and with the suffering, to be in and with the mourning, to walk with them through the darkness of death and despair, to be with them, to know, because we have been shown that grief is the passageway to joy, that this present darkness is the passageway to life, to enter in. We may know the story of Job, the very well-off man, the wealthy man who lost everything, who had a great family and all of them died, in short order. Well, Job himself was afflicted with a terrible, painful disease in the end. For more on this, read the book of Job in your scriptures, in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. But what we see happens to Job is he has some friends that come to him. And at first things are looking promising. At first they do the wisest thing they could. They shut their mouths and they simply mourn with Job. Afterward, after about a week, they do the stupidest thing they could have done. They open their mouths. And they try to explain to Job why this is all happening. Well, surely you deserved it, I mean, right? That doesn't go so well. But what, we may not go there, that would be a really awful place to go, so we content ourselves with saying things like, well, God has a plan. He needed another angel in heaven or something like that. The least comforting and theologically problematic kind of, kind of things we could say to somebody who is in the midst of suffering, trying to explain it away as though it's just something to get through rather than something to be experienced. Because it's real and it's hard. Rather, with the silence of Job's friends who are simply there to be there with him at the first, this is the better calling. To say to the person, I know this is hard for you. I can't understand what you're going through. Even if we've experienced the same loss, we'll never have the same experience. And so I cannot understand what you're going through, but I'd like to be with you in this. I'd like to walk with you through this. Tell me. If I could be with you, and if you'd like to share, I'd like to hear it. I'd like to listen. And that presence, that listening presence, it doesn't judge, it doesn't evaluate, it doesn't theologize away the experience of pain. It doesn't tell them, oh, things will be all right eventually. No, it stands in the midst of the cross. It stands in the midst of death. It stands as a testimony that yes, a silent testimony that there is coming a time when the tears will be wiped away. When the grief will be broken and the death will be broken and life will break out of the grave and reunion will be complete. That there is coming a time of joy and hope 
But to do that, we must be Christ's presence in the grave of grief and despair for those who are mourning. We walk with them. We are His loving presence to them so that they see simply through our presence, the presence of Christ, of hope, of joy, and of a dawn that breaks forth in the darkness of this present sorrow.